Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Easter Sunday 2020. Typically on an Easter Sunday, I'd be looking out at a congregation dressed in their Sunday best, and I might even comment and talk about how nice all of you looked. Well, chances are, this Easter Sunday, um, some of you may be listening to this podcast in your pajamas, and that's okay. You will probably remember this Sunday, Easter Sunday 2020, uh, as unique from any other. A lot has happened over the last 30 days, and uh, we are here to celebrate and talk about the meaning of Easter today. On Good Friday, we looked at the first part of a passage in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, and looked at the gospel, the good news. And I trust that many of you celebrated communion as a family. The good news was Christ died for our sins. Jesus died on our behalf. Jesus died as a substitute. Jesus died to bring us to God. He came and died to restore the relationship with God our Father. And today, we're going to look at the second part of the gospel, the good news. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. As we return to 1 Corinthians 15, I will be reading excerpts from the chapter, and we're going to look at four major topics. We're going to look at the proofs of the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection, the nature of the resurrection body, which is future, and the final victory, and why we have hope. And I'd like us to turn to this passage in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, as we continue. I'll give each of you just a minute to find your passage in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read verses 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 20. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The philosopher and New Testament scholar, Dr. William Lane Craig, writes, Without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. Even had they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of his being the Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad and shameful end of his career. The origin of Christianity, therefore, hinges on the belief of the early disciples that God had raised Jesus from the dead. I want to talk this morning about the proofs of the resurrection. This is not an exhaustive treatise on the proofs of the resurrection. You can find a lot of sources about that. But I want to look at the proofs of the resurrection that Paul describes here. 
the purpose of Paul writing these things is not to prove the resurrection. Paul assumed that they all already believed that Jesus rose from the dead. The first proof of the resurrection was the empty tomb. Empty tomb. No body was ever found. All that Jesus' enemies had to do to stop Christianity was to produce a body. And they produced stories. And the most common was the disciples stole the body. There were a lot of theories, but there was never any body shown. The unique feature of Christianity over and against Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, you can name whatever religion you want. You can visit the tombs of all the world's religious founders. They were buried. Jesus was buried, but he was resurrected. Jesus' tomb was empty. Secondly were the physical appearances. In verses 3 to 5, Paul writes, For what I received I passed on to you, as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Paul speaks of eyewitness accounts, historical accounts, Actual fact that was established by as many as 500 witnesses at one time. Although 1 Corinthians was written around 50 AD, these four verses were what many scholars believe was an early creed or a statement of faith, a statement of belief, like the Apostles' Creed. A summary statement of faith that Christians would recite established within a few years of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. That the gospel is based on a historical event is of great importance to Christians today. The resurrection was not carrying on just forth of ideals or ideas. The whole center of the apostles' message was Christ crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. His physical appearances. The third proof for the resurrection was the change in the disciples, the change in the disciples. Liberal scholar F.J. Folks, who does not believe in the resurrection, writes that after Jesus was put to death, he rose from the grave, may be questioned, but all must assent to the proposition that his immediate followers believed that he had done so. Indeed, without a belief in the resurrection, Christianity as a religion would never have begun to exist. The disciples were changed from cowering cowards, hiding in secret, to bold proclaimers willing to give their lives for a fact they knew to be true. And many died the death of martyrs, claiming the resurrection. Those are just some of the proofs of the resurrection. Well, let's, let's look at the importance of the resurrection. How important is the resurrection to Christianity? First of all, the resurrection shows that Jesus was and is God. It shows that Jesus was and is God. Romans 1, 3 through 4 says, Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection established the fact that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be, the Son of God, God incarnate, God himself, one with God. See, without the establishment of Jesus as Godhead, 
He could not pay for our sins. Maybe he could pay for the sins of one person, but not the sins of the whole world for all time. See, God is infinite. Therefore, his sacrifice has infinite power and infinite reach. So the resurrection shows Jesus was and is God. Secondly, it shows that what Jesus said is true. What Jesus said is true. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus predicted it. Matthew 16, 21 says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. Incidentally, burial is very important because it showed that he really did die. Even in this day and age of legalized suicide, it's very difficult to predict the time and place of our own death, let alone the claim of being raised on the third day. Some critics have said that the gospel writers added these words to Jesus to try and prove their point. If that's the case, why did the religious leaders want a Roman guard at Jesus' tomb? Who, who guards a dead man? The leader said, Jesus said he would rise again. After Jesus was buried, it says in Matthew 27, 62, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Thirdly, the resurrection shows that God was satisfied. God was satisfied. What does that mean? It means that God accepted Jesus' death as payment enough. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That raised to life because of our justification. Justify means to declare not guilty. Not guilty, which means if we're justified, it's just as if we had never sinned at all. Justification takes place in the heart of God. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, God demonstrated that he accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Those of you who wrestle with guilt, the resurrection proves that Jesus paid for your sins. You don't have to try to carry them or pay for them yourselves. Jesus paid for them, and the resurrection is proof of that. The 17th verse of 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But that shows that since he was raised from the dead, you are not still in your sins. Fourthly, the resurrection provides a new quality of life. A new quality of life. Romans 6, 3-4 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We walk in a new life. 
We have a new start. We're new persons. In and of ourselves, we're powerless to change our life or change our circumstances. We're just kind of destined to cope. Our nature is sinful. Our tendency is always downward to selfishness and self-pleasing. But the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, through being born again and his resurrection power, reverses our downward spiral and brings a brand new life. And that power comes because of the resurrection. And fifth, the resurrection gives hope. The resurrection gives hope. How many today need hope? Our entire world seems to be falling apart. We need hope. If we hope in this life alone, what else is there when we die? In the, in the classic song, is if this is all there is, yeah, just keep dancing. There's pleasure for now. It's an empty life, empty of hope. If we hope in a dead man, what hope is there? How does the resurrection give us hope? Sixthly, it guarantees everyone will be resurrected someday. Verses 20 through 23 of 1 Corinthians 15, our text says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in its own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The key word here is firstfruits. Firstfruits. Now we have prequels and we have sequels. Jesus was raised from the dead. That was the event. Now we have the sequel. We have the resurrection for us. First fruits were the first part of the harvest given to God. And the first fruit offering was the assurance that the rest of the harvest was coming, that the sequel is coming. Jesus' resurrection preceded us in his bodily resurrection. And so he is the guarantee of the sequel, the guarantee of our resurrection at his second coming. This, this is the future. We have a guarantee against hopelessness that we will live forever someplace. The question is, where? Where will I spend the forever? The final importance of the resurrection, how important is it for me to believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Belief in the resurrection is essential for salvation. Let me say that again. Belief in the resurrection is essential for our own personal salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Believe in your heart. I will never forget the story one man shared with me. He had attended church for a long time. He knew all the facts about Christianity. And one day he heard someone speak about this very passage in Romans 10 that says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the, from the dead, you will be saved. He realized he really didn't believe in the resurrection. Therefore, by God's definition, 
was not saved. See, it is impossible for God to save us from our sins unless we believe in this last part of the gospel message. Jesus died for your sins, Jesus was buried, and Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you really believe that today? So what does the future hold for us anyway? What is it going to be like when we're resurrected? Let's look finally at the nature of the resurrected body. There are two passages of Scripture I want to uh, address to, that talks about our future hope. first one is in 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. And it reads, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This is our hope. You know, when we look at history, we discover that until about 1492 AD, everyone thought the world was flat. And if you sailed over the horizon, you'd fall off the edge of the earth and never return. And no one ever had returned. But all that changed in 1492 when Columbus sailed over the horizon, discovered a brand new world, and returned, saying, over the horizon is a brand new world. This is what life is like over the horizon. Many people today talk about the afterlife or life over the horizon in the same way. And no one knows what it is like since no one really has ever returned. No one has ever come back to tell us about it. Actually, someone has. He crossed the horizon, experienced death, and lived to tell about it. He came back to life. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Death is a mystery to us. Only one person really understood the full meaning of death because he came back. Jesus helps us understand that death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. Death is a change point, a transition from one type of life to another type of life. And we have a lot of questions, many of which we still cannot answer. But the people in this, in this city of Corinth had similar types of questions about what is it like? Is there life after death? And, and what is it like? What kind of bodies will we have? What kind of existence will it be? What is the nature of our future state? We don't have time to go into the details, but Paul uses agriculture as an illustration. He says that this body must die first. This, this life must end before the next life begins. A seed is sown in the ground, then it dies. From this death springs a new plant, a new life. If the seed does not die, there's no new life. So this life must end before the new life begins. And we spend a lot of time and energy trying to keep this life going, but we don't spend a lot of time preparing for phase two. Second Corinthians 5 eight says to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. 
In the analogy of the seed, Paul tells us that one living thing through death can have two modes of existence. It's sown in death one way, being raised in another. The Corinthian people could not understand the how, so they gave up on the what? The resurrection itself. One is before death, one is after death, and the, re the resurrection is what God does. There is an essential difference between the present earthly body, the life of the present age, and the future heavenly body, the life of the spirit in the age to come. And God will transform this body, once it dies, into something that is imperishable. Truth number two, this body is perishable. The next is imperishable. We know our body's age when we get older. What is the state of our existence? It's going to last forever. Thirdly, this body is sown in dishonor and raised in power. It dies weak and dishonored, but it's raised in glory. If our human bodies were not sown in weakness or died in weakness, if it wasn't sick, diseased, or fallible, it would never die. They would not be planted with the result of being raised in power. Fourthly, this is a natural body, flesh and blood, but it's going to be raised a spiritual body. So when we talk about Jesus being resurrected from the dead, he made the way. He was the first fruits, the first one that demonstrated this life. Is there life after death? And if so, what is it like? It lasts forever? We won't age. Our body will be glorious. Our body will be in power. It'll be a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15 50 says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We will have new bodies, and the resurrection of Jesus is what makes this possible. Now, the closest thing we can imagine to having that body is the body Jesus had after his resurrection. That's the body we will have. The Bible calls this state eternal life. Is there such a thing as a guarantee of eternal life? And can we know that we have this eternal life now and in our future? Yes, we can. There's this final hope. This final hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Wow. In the end, we win. That's our hope. That's our hope. See, death for a believer is not the end. It's only the beginning. It's a transition. It's a change point. Because Jesus defeated death. Death is swallowed up in victory. That is the hope that we have because of the resurrection. Is there such a thing as a guarantee? Do we have a guarantee of eternal life? Can we know that we have this eternal life now and in our future? Yes, we can. In 1 John 5, 11 to 13, it says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, Jesus, has the life. 
He who does not have the Son of God, Jesus, does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Believe in Jesus. Place your trust in him. We are separated from God. And Jesus came to live and then died for my sins to restore that relationship with God. He's the loving and seeking God, wanting to restore spiritually seeking people to that relationship. To believe in Jesus means to acknowledge I'm a sinner, that I cannot save myself, and place my trust in Jesus and accept his sacrifice as a free gift. It means making Jesus the leader in charge of my life, asking him to come into my life and take charge. Then you too can have that same eternal life. Guaranteed. Is there life after death? Yes. An eternal life with God guaranteed. Believe in Jesus. See the gospel, the good news. Well, we looked at on Good Friday and this Easter Sunday morning. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day also, according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter, to the twelve, and over 500 people at one time. That is good news. That's the gospel. And because of that, we have hope. That is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today knowing and acknowledging that our hope is not in our physical health or in our government's ability to handle crises or in our ability to buy things or provide for ourselves. Our hope eternally and in the now is in you. Our hope must be in you. And I pray that as we celebrate this Easter Sunday, this Easter Sunday 2020, many of us in our homes, that we would have that hope. And if anybody is listening to this podcast, that they would realize that, that it's by believing and receiving this message and believing in Jesus that they too can have this resurrection life and have this resurrection hope. And Father, I just pray that we would really be able to celebrate that our celebration today won't be dependent on our circumstances because it's kind of crazy out there right now. And I just pray, God, that we would look beyond that and look to the fact that we have our future secured. We have eternal life, relationship now, and eternal life in the future. And that basically we're all in this together. And I pray for Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, Father. I just pray that you would continue to draw us together in this difficult time of the coronavirus pandemic. And that we would have encouragement knowing that this too will pass and things will soon return to some sense of normalcy. We pray this and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.